At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. Have you guys ever been mistaken for someone else? Happened to me just a couple weeks ago. I was at a high school football game. I was inside the fence. It was kind of near the end of the game, and I was standing there, and uh, some young ladies on the outside of the fence came up to me and they said, can we get back in the game? (laughs) Sure. Come in if you like. Clearly, I looked like the ticket guy who let them in, and yet I was not the ticket guy who let them in. Now, this is something that happens to each and every one of us. Sometimes our identity gets mistaken a little bit. But I can guarantee you, it's not as intense as what happened to a man named Ricky Jones. Ricky Jones spent 17 years in prison for aggravated robbery. The problem was, Ricky Jones did not commit the crime. I know there's that narrative that everybody is in, did not commit the crime, and yet Ricky did not commit the crime. A guy who looked just like Ricky Jones is the one who committed the crime. Now, here's where the story gets a little bit weird. The guy who actually committed the crime was already serving time in the same prison where Ricky (laughs) was spending time. And over a period of months or years or whatever, people got to the point where they recognized that that guy looked like that guy. Ultimately, that led to Mr. Jones being freed after 17 long years in prison. Clearly, a bad case of mistaken identity. Now today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at a biblical text that seeks to help believers like you and I never lose sight of who we are. Never lose sight of that. And never lose sight of where it is that we are going. We're going to be turning to the book of 1 Peter, specifically looking at chapter 2. And we're going to be doing this as we engage with this very familiar and foundational text. But before we do, let's pray together. Gracious God, we are here today to proclaim your goodness. We are here, we've gathered as your people to sing your praises, to worship you. And yet, God, we live in a world that seems to be coming apart at the seams. There's not much unity in our, in our world, and so we want to pray for that. But in terms of leading the charge for unity, that needs to happen within the context of your church. And so, God, we humbly ask that you would bring unity among your people. May that begin right here. May we be unified around the centrality of the gospel. May we be unified around the truth of your word today. God, we acknowledge that your word is true. It has so much for us to learn from, to consider as we examine our lives. But in order to do that, we need eyes to see this truth. We need ears to hear this truth. And then we need humble hearts to 
live out this truth in the week ahead. And so, God, we ask humbly for all of those things. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, as I mentioned, we are continuing our look at the Apostle Peter's first letter, the one he wrote to a group of exiles who are living in a place called Asia Minor. Now, if you don't know where Asia Minor is, quick uh, geography lesson, Asia Minor is what is known as modern-day Turkey. And so, Peter writes to this original audience, and what's really important for us to remember is that the times that they are experiencing are very difficult. They are strangers living in a strange land. They are a people who are in need of hope, and that is exactly what Peter strives to communicate to this group of people. But I want you to know something very important. The hope that Peter offers is not going to come from financial statements. The hope that Peter offers is not going to come from kind of any political position of power. And the hope that Peter offers is not going to come from some religious lifestyle. Instead, Peter is going to solidify the hope that believers have based on two very important realities. He is going to lean in and help us understand our identity, and he's going to help us understand our purpose. He's really going to engage with two questions. Who are we, and where is it that we're going? Those are the questions that we're going to be digging into from 1 Peter. So let me encourage you to grab your Bible. You're going to find it on page uh, 1015 if you are reading along in our church Bible. If not, you are going to find that on uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're looking at just two verses, verses 9 and 10 this morning. So here are the words of the Apostle Peter. But you... You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Did you hear the answer to those two questions? Did you catch it? Believer, who are you? Christ follower, where is it that you're going? They were established right there in that text. Peter establishes both our identity and our purpose. It's right there in the text. So here's the question, who am I? Let's take it out of the text for a moment and put it into your life, into your journey. Who are you? I don't mean who are you today sitting amongst others in the context of the church. I'm asking who are you when you're alone, in your private space, when there's no one looking? Who are you? Who are you really? And then, once you have a foundational understanding of who it is that you are, then we take that next step, don't we? We are forced to consider the following question. Where exactly is it that I'm going? 
I mean, really, what is my path moving forward? Am I walking in God's ways? Does God even have a plan for me at all? What is my purpose? What is my purpose in this world? Those are two very weighty questions, and they, ideal, they, they identify with our identity and our purpose, because both are important for you and I to live in a vibrant, healthy, fulfilling life. We have to know both our identity and our purpose, and that's what Peter covers in this text. So let's dig in. Let's look a little bit more closely. We're going to start with that first segment of verse 9. Here we go. But you... Pause. Wait a second, Pastor. You've only covered two words. Exactly. Peter is making a sharp contrast here with those two words, and what he's doing is he's setting it apart from what happened in verse 8. We looked at verse 8 last week, and what was, what was verse 8 about? Verse 8 was about those people who come to the person of Christ, and they stumble over him. He causes them to stumble. That's what's going on in verse 8. But you, believer who do not stumble over the person of Christ, those of you who are identified with the person of Christ, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for His own possession. You see, all of those titles give you and I a foundational understanding of our identity. We are a redeemed people. Men, women, children who have a faith in Jesus Christ, we are a redeemed people. Now, I want to be very clear about something. It is not attached to our goodness. Your redemption is not attached to your personal goodness. Your redemption is not connected with your personal righteousness. We bring nothing to that equation. But instead... But instead, we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the hardwood of a cross. See, Peter, he gives us this foundational answer to the question of identity right here in this passage. And he says it is connected with someone who has a faith in Jesus Christ. That's where we begin. That is the foundational truth. And then from there, Peter is going to give us three specific responses that the Christ follower should have when we engage with this reality. And the first response is that every Christ follower must know who you are. Every Christ follower must know who you are in Jesus. So let me unpack that for us just real quickly. For those who have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, you must know, that means intellectually, you must acknowledge who you are in Christ. But then you must believe within your heart, within your soul, that this is your true identity, that it is wrapped up in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
Because you are connected with Jesus. If you have faith in Him, you are connected with Jesus in His life, in His death, and in His resurrection. By faith. Therefore, that set of specific titles that He gives us are true of you. Those titles are true of you if you are in faith today, if you are in Christ today. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And you are a people of God's own possession. I want a quick read. It's only two verses. At a quick read, you might kind of think, well, those are interesting titles. Don't typically use that kind of language, but they seem important, maybe even a little bit religious. If that's what you thought, you'd be right. Each of those titles carries so much weight and significance. Because they're not just titles that Peter came up with on the fly. They are rooted in truth from the Old Testament. With each specific title, Peter references a phrase from the Old Testament scriptures to solidify, to help the people understand who they are. So let's look at those phrases a little more closely. First, you have the chosen race. That is based upon Isaiah chapter 43, verses 20 and 21. Here's what it says. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I give drink to my chosen people. The people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. This means that the ultimate source of identity is found in God Himself and in His choosing of us. He chose us for Himself. Therefore, He chooses to bless us. Therefore, He chooses to keep us and to make us a blessing to others, a blessing to the nations. But I want you to know this is not some sort of self-serving reality. This is not the kind of thing that you acknowledge, you read that text, and then you get to the point where you're like, sweet, I can kick back, I can relax a little bit. This is true of me, so I can relax. Being chosen by God, being part of God's covenant community is so significant because we are His people. We are a people of His choosing. And in that role, there is a responsibility, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. I want to go back to those next three phrases. We started with the chosen race. Then let's see the next three phrases and where they come from is Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. It says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. 
You see, this text was foundational for the Israelites. It gave them very clearly their identity and their purpose. Now consider the setting for just a moment. God has just rescued His people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt. He's just done that. And He brings them to the point where they're at the base of Mount Sinai. And in the next chapter, in Exodus chapter 20, He is going to give them a little counsel. A little counsel called the Ten Commandments. But the timing of what we just read is so fascinating. It is so very significant. Because before God chooses to give His people the law, He reminds them of their special identity, of who they are. They're priests. This means, as we talked about a little bit last week, that they will represent God to the nations. They're a kingdom of priests, actually. A whole group of people who will represent God before the world. They're also a holy nation. This means that God's people are to be marked by holiness. Our lives should look different. We should be set apart. Now, I want to be very clear. It does not say removed. It just says set apart. You're going to look different from our world and from our culture. And they're also a people of God's own possession. We are a chosen people, chosen by Him, who find our destiny where? In Him, who live according to whose purposes? His purposes. Because we are His possession. Church, this is why Peter references the Old Testament. Because he wants to remind God's people of their true and real identity. And each one of these markers point to the reality that you and I must begin with a self-evaluation, a self-assessment of the reality of who it is that we are, that we have been redeemed. I'm guessing that not many of us when we wake up in the morning, kind of rub the stuff out of our eyes and put our feet on the floor, I'm guessing that not many of us go, I'm chosen by God. Walk into the bathroom, fellas, you pull out the razor, put a little shaving cream on, you're looking in the mirror and you're going, I, that guy right there, royal priest. You're in the line dropping off the kids at school, I'm part of a holy nation, just wanted you to know, Stopped at a traffic light, little stressful context. I'm God's possession right here. You see, you could say those things. And the reality is, maybe we should. Because if we are in Jesus Christ today, if you are in Christ today, if you are a believer, these things are in fact true of you. They highlight your true identity. So let me get real practical for just a moment. There are many of us who struggle with self-confidence. There are many of us who have issues of self-esteem. There are many men who wonder if we have what it takes. Peter wants you to know that in Christ, you do. 
in Christ you do. Now, let's look back at our text. Let's pick up that second portion of verse 9. It says, but you, believer, are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Why? Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And church, this highlights the second response to Peter's teaching. That Christ's followers must know why it is that we are here. You and I are called to know why it is that we are here. And Peter establishes this, that God has made in our union with Christ, He's established that as our identity, and now He turns it with a purpose clause. He begins with that. Oftentimes we see it in other texts as therefore. And so we understand our identity, and then we understand the importance of proclaiming the goodness of God. Now, this can mean something as simple as singing to God as we just did a moment ago. Right before I was coming out for the baptism in the first service, I, I was able to kind of peek through the, the shades we have back there, and I could see this section. And there was a man over here in the middle of worship, hands held high, just praising Jesus. He's proclaiming the goodness of God. Or it can mean something as direct is communicating your faith in the context of your school, with your friend group, with people you work with. The reality is if you are in Christ today, you are called to proclaim God's goodness. We do this with our head. You and I do this with our head when we think and we reflect upon the character of God that is presented in the truth of His Word. We do that with our head. Then we do that with our heart when we respond to others with Christ-like love. We do that with our heart. And we also do this with our hands. When we serve someone with an act of sacrificial love, we do this. We proclaim the gospel with our head, with our heart, and with our hands. And we do this. And when we practice these things, we're proclaiming the good news of Jesus. We're declaring the amazing character of our God and God's amazing love and His grace and His mercy for all who believe. Now, this weekend, we have a very practical way. We have a very practical way for you and I to respond, to have an opportunity to proclaim God's excellencies. We're doing it through something called Thanksgiving boxes. Many of you may have seen the boxes in the lobby. We didn't just forget to put something away. Those are actually something that we're striving to do. We've gathered 100 boxes, and our desire is to provide a Thanksgiving meal to someone in need in our community. That is a way that we can practically proclaim the love of Jesus Christ and the reality of the goodness of God. Now, when we do that, when we seek to feed the underprivileged in our community, here's what will not happen. You will not receive personal glory. 
fact of the matter is most people won't even know it was you that packed the box. They won't know it was you that did the shopping. They won't know it was you that put everything together. You will not receive the glory. The reality is the glory will not come to this particular church either. People might see something on it that says Woodside and, think, and, and just say to themselves, I think that's that place by Taco Bell. But instead, when we fill those Thanksgiving boxes, we do that because we have a desire to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ and the goodness of God. Our desire is to make Him known in this community and in our world. That's what God has called us to do. We have our identity in Christ, and then we have our purpose. That means everyone in White Lake and in Waterford. That means everyone who lives in Highland or Holly, in Commerce or in Clarkston. We are people who represent the love of God in this community. And until that is recognized, until that is understood, we have work to do. We have work to do. We have a God-giving calling that you and I are to fulfill. So church, our identity is established. We have our purpose clarified. But then we have to look at verse 10. Peter encourages us with one more thing. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here the apostle has reminded us that the reason we are to proclaim God and His goodness is because it was God who called you out of darkness. It was Him. He did it. He called you out of darkness, He called you out of sin, and He has given you the opportunity to participate in His marvelous light. That was God. He did that. And so Peter wants Christ's followers to know what God has done. Peter wants us as Christ followers to know exactly what it is that God has done. And here's the reality. If you were in Christ today... God has changed your life. If you are in Jesus Christ today, if you have placed your faith in Christ, He has taken you from darkness and put you in a place of light. He has taken you from death and given you life. He has taken your sin and He has covered it with His forgiveness. He's taken away the penalty that you and I deserve and He's given us his grace. Believers, we experience all these things because of God's work in our lives. You couldn't do those things, but God could. You didn't do those things, but here's an awesome reality. God did. And so as we close, what Peter desires that you and I would see, and more importantly, that you and I would know, that we would grasp, is that our identity and our purpose are secure. They are secure because they are based solely upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. See, it is our union with Him 
our union with Jesus, our relationship with Christ that drives you and I to live in such a way that we would bring Him glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.